And one of the defining traits of the Gospel of John that we've seen over the course of our study is that throughout the Gospel of John, there are these great I am statements. In fact, that's why we're, we have the title of this, this series in this middle of the Gospel of John. You know, I am, it's throughout. The central I am statement is in John chapter eight. We saw this some time ago. John 8:58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, when he said this, we recognize he didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said, I am. He's making a very strong statement using that terminology. And those who heard him, especially the religious leaders, at that moment they heard him, they responded immediately by picking up stones and seeking to kill him. Why? Because they understood when he said, I am, he was making a claim to be God. The book of Exodus tells us that when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and he told him to go to the people and to go to Pharaoh to set the people free, Moses then asked God, you know, who shall I say sent me? And look at God's response in Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so he's giving himself this name, I am. And when we looked at this, we studied what that meant, the beautiful power of, of the imagery there. And so when Je Jesus then said in, in John chapter eight, I am, before Abraham was, I am, everyone knew that he was claiming to be the God of Exodus chapter three. Now this is the great statement, but what we find is again now throughout the whole gospel, repeatedly Jesus re you know, uses not only this one statement, I am, but then he, he adds to it. He says, I am, numerous times, and then he adds something, I am something. And each time what he's doing is he's making this claim, he's using the same terminology, so he's kind of affirming this claim that I am God, but then in adding something, he's then explaining something about the nature of God, about the nature of our relationship with him. We've seen several of these in our study of the Gospel of John so far. So if we go back to John chapter six, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Or we go back to John chapter eight, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Even last week, we looked at one in John chapter 10 verse nine where Jesus said, I am the door. And we looked at what that means and when he talks about whoever uh, enters by me will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Although it's ahead in our study of John, when we were on, on uh, Easter Sunday, we, we jumped ahead and we went to John chapter 11 and we saw Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. Some of these I am statements are still ahead in the Gospel of John. And so we go, if we were to go to John 14, and we'll get there eventually, but John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, he claims to be the true vine. I am the vine. And what we come to this morning is this one of these great I am statements, probably one of the better known. In John 14, or 10, verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so what we see with each one of these, he's teaching us something about the nature of not only who he is, but also how we're to relate to him. And so when we look at this statement, we're gonna dive into it, what we find is that one of the challenges that we face is that most, if not all of us, have very little personal experience of what it means to be a shepherd or even what a sheep's like, how to take care of a sheep. You know, in spite of this, the fact is, is that this, this whole illustration of God being the shepherd and we being his sheep is one that is well-known and well-loved because it reoccurs throughout the whole of the Bible. Probably one of the best-known passages is in Psalm 23, 
where it talks about the whole picture and this image of the good shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want, and has this beautiful picture. For many of us know Luke 15, where it talks about the shepherd who left the 99 sheep to go to find the one that was lost. Or here in, a, in, this, in John 10, when he talks about this good shepherd. It's, it's a well-known uh, picture. It's one that we see in art. It's one that we talk about all the time. And, and in the past, I think when Jesus said this, or if you go to the, you know, the context of when the 23rd Psalm was written, what would have happened is people would have understood certain things about that because it was a context where people lived in an agricultural environment where, where most families would have a sheep or many of them were involved in keeping of sheep. But we live in a modern urban setting where we don't have that experience. The fact is for most of us, the extent of interaction with sheep is that we might have a wool sweater and maybe we've had a good lamb chop. And that's about it. And if we've ever taken a child or a grandchild to this pet zoo and we've had the petting zoo and we've actually petted the sheep for a little while and then gone and washed our hands real quick, we feel like we're really, really experienced. So to try to figure this out, I think we almost need to step back a moment and think about this imagery. Understand some things that maybe are a little less obvious to us in our modern context. Understanding something about this illustration of, of a shepherd and a sheep. So one of the things that we have to realize in this, pic, in this whole picture is that when Jesus is describing himself as the shepherd, he is at the same time describing something not only about himself, but also about us. He's also teaching us that we are like sheep. It's not just that he's the good shepherd, it's also that we're sheep and that we need to relate to him as sheep. So even if you have, an, if your Bible's open there in verse 14 and 15, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And he uses this illustration saying, okay, well I'm the shepherd and you're the sheep and, and you've gotta understand that whole relationship. And so what he's teaching us here is something that is really important for us to understand. And that is before we can really embrace Jesus Christ as the good shepherd, we have to admit that we're sheep and we have to relate to him as sheep. And so that's a, that's a hard thing to do because anyone who knows anything about sheep, especially if you've been around them any length of period of time, would know that being called a sheep is not a great compliment. Uh, they're really kind of pathetic animals. They're dumb and they're weak. They don't have any natural defenses. They, they can't even run away from threats because they've got these little spindly legs that make them not only slow, but, you know, but they tend to fall down. Think about it. We have athletic teams that are named after about every animal in existence. I mean, you have the Richmond Flying Squirrels and you have the El Paso Chihuahuas and I mean, you even have the rubber ducks, it's, you know. I mean, everything. But have you ever heard of a team named after the sheep? There isn't any. And there's a reason, and, and that's because there's nothing fierce about sheep. I mean, they don't have any claws, they don't have any hooves, they don't have any, nothing threatening. They don't even have anything to protect themselves. There's no shells, there's no ability to hide, there's nothing. If you think about it, when you talk about sheep, they're a lamb that are led to the slaughter. That's not what you wanna be thinking if you're an athletic team. You know, you don't wanna be the team that's slaughtered. In fact, I was even thinking about this when you think about evolutionary theory, 
Sheep never should have survived if there was such thing as evolution. Evolution is the survival of the fittest, and there's nothing fit about them. In fact, I think that the actual existence of sheep is actually a pretty strong argument about against the whole idea of evolution. They shouldn't exist. Even several years ago, I was studying the 23rd Psalm, and I learned something there about sheep that I had not known. Uh, that even is more pathetic. Apparently, they have a problem of not only falling down, but then somehow getting on their back. And when they fall down and turn over on their back like a turtle, they can't turn back over. And apparently, it's a very common problem that sheep, if they're not watched carefully, will turn over their back and they'll die because they're stuck on their back and they can't get up. In fact, I, and I, I found out about this. I, I found a video about a guy who started a business serving people who had large, large flocks of sheep. And, uh, and so much so that there weren't shepherds to be there with them at all times. And so he started this business with a helicopter that would fly over the fields and look for sheep that were you know, turned over, and then he would try to turn them back over. And uh, he called his, his business the sheep team. And just to give you an idea, I, I captured just a, a short bit of this video to give you an idea of, of what this picture is actually like. Now I watch that. And, uh, and you watch that and you think, you, you see the sheep that's sitting there with its legs up and you think, how pathetic. I mean, I just, I didn't, I didn't realize that. And, and you show that because it shows something about, you know, just how weak and helpless a sheep is. And, and as I reflect on that, you say, why in the world did God choose this metaphor? Is God insulting us? I don't think he is but he is trying to teach us something about ourselves. And we've got to understand something about ourselves if we were to understand something about him and our relationship with him. He's trying to teach us about our needs to, to fully rely upon him. See, there's some characteristics of sheep, just even briefly to think about, that they, they're not only about sheep, but they say something about us. Sheep are incredibly stupid. <laughs> You know, they don't have any sense of direction. You know, you could put a cat or dog out and they will probably find their way home. A sheep never will. And, and literally, they have been known to follow other sheep off the cliff. You know, one will fall off the cliff, and the other one will go, oh, let's cry to her. They'll go right off. They'll fall to death. The whole flock will go there. And, you know, you say, well, that's stupid. Well, have you ever known any people to do that? You know, kind of, you see somebody do something stupid, it destroys their life, and hey, let's all go do that. We're like that as well. You know, sheep are, are, are not only stupid, they're naturally helpless on their own. You know, they can't even find food and water. They'll... they'll um, they'll eat roots and things that, that are poisonous that will kill them. And, um, and when you look at that, you know, say, we're the same way. You know, we can't, we, you know, we try to find life and food and things that, literally, you know, emotional food, things that satisfy us, and yet how often do we choose things that we think that will feed our soul, but they actually kill us? You know, sheep are weak and defenseless. You know, they, they've been known to run from squirrels. They, they have no sense of, you know, of, of defense. There's, you know, you think about it. Not only, again, they don't have teeth. They don't have claws. They don't have any. They, they, they don't have the ability to hide. They have no defenses. They're slow. In fact, I, you know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, you know, you know fierceness. And, and certainly, you know, you see all these pictures where you have animals that make faces. And I thought, well, certainly there's got to be some picture of, like, a, a, a sheep that looks fierce. So I looked on the internet, and, and I found a picture, and this is, this is like the best one I found. <laughs> you know, if you notice, it's got even a little knife on its leg, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the, the thing is, is that there is no fierceness in sheep. There's nothing. And so why does God call us 
this is most pathetic of animals. There's a meaning behind the analogy. And that is when he calls, he's saying that he's the good shepherd, we're like sheep, and he's saying that it's yes, we don't have the strength, we don't have the wisdom to do life by ourselves, but in him we will always have more than we need. That we will always have a shepherd that will provide all that we need. He made us naturally weak to depend on him. You see, what we've got to realize is there's a picture here in this analogy. And it's not a picture that's trying to teach us that we're just helpless or that we're stupid, but it's trying to teach us of our need to trust and depend. Think about this. You know, it's, people love the 23rd Psalm. You know, I, I know especially it's, you know, probably at least half the funerals that, I'm, that I go to or that I'm in charge of, you know, people will, will want to have the 23rd Psalm in there or that you'll have... Um, you know, somewhere in, in the scripture or somewhere in the you know, thing that we'll hand out or have the 23rd Psalm. And we love that in times of difficulty. We love the idea of having a shepherd that is there for us when things are hard. But on the other hand, when things are good, we tend to forget that. In fact, we kind of reject it. We think that in the midst of times when we're in green pasture, I don't need a shepherd. I can take care of myself, and, and I'm kind of offended by the idea that you call me stupid or dependent or weak or helpless. Or, and what we tend to do is we tend to wander away from the shepherd and try to rely upon ourselves and provide for ourselves. See, one of the things that we need to realize here is that we don't like to think of ourselves as sheep. We don't like to admit that we're weak or defenseless or, stu- or stupid. Um, we love the image of, of Jesus as the shepherd. And what we've got to realize is it's impossible to embrace Jesus Christ as our good shepherd until we admit that we're like sheep, that we can only come to him as the good shepherd as we're sheep. Because it says something about the whole nature of not only who God is and how he wants to relate to us. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. And and we, you know, we say that, but we don't really want to believe it. We love the idea of the good shepherd, but we hate the truth of it. We like the sound of it, especially in difficult times, but in the good times, we're offended by a description of, of us being like sheep. And, and basically, we like to think that we're pretty good people, and we can do it on our own, and we're pretty smart, and, and, uh, and what we really want is we want a helper. You know, we want a consultant. We want somebody that, you know, we're going to do life on our own, and when things are hard, well, then we're going to go and we're going to go to our prayer group and get praying for me because I need help. And, and, you know, so I'm doing life on my own, but I need the consultant to come in now. And that's the way that we naturally want to relate to God. But what we need to realize is that he says, no, I don't come as a, as a consultant. I come as the shepherd because we cannot do it on our own. Or we will, at the other times, we will say, you know, well, God, I need your help over here, but I've got it over here. You know, in fact, when the Bible calls me to do something over here, well, I know better over here. I'm going to do this part of my life my own way, where over here I need your help. And again, my friends, if we realize that we come to him as the good shepherd, we come to him in total dependence in every area of life. That's the only choice that we have. Again, the reasons why this is so hard is that number one is that we have a hard time admitting that we're, that we're like sheep. But number two, we also have a hard time really surrendering to Christ because at our core, we have a hard time fully trusting in him. 
that, that we look at him and we say, well, yeah, I know that, that the Bible is that God's truth and well, it was written 2,000 years ago and does it really apply today? And, and, and I know that God is there, but is he really strong enough to take care of my need? And what we have to realize is that there's a picture here that we're trying to see that we have to understand our own sheepliness in a sense, but then we also have this picture to say, okay, once you understand that, understand that, that Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who is deserving and worthy of trust, whom you can totally rely upon. And what we see in this passage is most of it is describing his character, understanding the character of who he is. Now, now some might be saying, well, but I think I've got that. You know, I've, I, I think I understand the basics and I have the right ideas and the right beliefs about God. And, and, um, but here's again what I've got to point out is that a lot of times we may think that we have the right theology about God but that doesn't always necessarily we have the right beliefs. And you might think those are the same things, but they're not always. You see, my theology is what I believe the Bible says is true about God. Not only about God, but about me and about my world and how I relate. It's what I believe the Bible says is true. The beliefs are what I actually believe to be true and demonstrate to believe to be true by my actions. And a lot of times there is a significant gap between my theology and what I really believe. Well, let me even illustrate that. You know, I can come back and I can affirm the theology. I believe that God is all powerful, that God is in charge of everything, that God is trustworthy. And then I face a crisis. And what happens in the midst of that crisis, I lose sleep because I'm worrying all the time. And the fact is, when I'm doing that, what I'm saying is, my theology says I believe that God is all-powerful, but my actions say I really don't. Because if I really believed that God is all-powerful, then I would rest in his power. I wouldn't worry about what's happening because I really totally trust, I really believe that. And so there's a gap between what I know to be true about God and what I practically believe. Or, or another example is, is that I could come and say, well, I believe the Bible is God's word and it's 100% true. But then I come across a passage that calls me to do something or, or it calls me to give up something that I don't want to give up and suddenly I start making an argument about why that passage doesn't apply to me or doesn't apply anymore in this time. And what I'm showing is that while I, my theology says I believe that it's God's word and it's 100% true, my beliefs are that I really don't believe that when push comes to shove and there's a gap. Now, right theology is essential. That's the starting point. Because the thing is that if I don't have the right thoughts about God, then I won't ever have the right beliefs about God. But what I also have to realize is that a lot of times I have the right thoughts about God, I have the right theology, but then God in time will reveal there's a gap between what I know to be true and what I really believe. And God reveals that gap because he wants to close it. And what I love about this passage is it's not just teaching us the right theology, but it's doing it in such a way that's trying to dig deeper to our core beliefs. Okay, you know this about God, but practically do you trust him as a shepherd? It's not what do you think in the classroom, it's what do you actually believe when you're out in the real life? And what does it tell us something about him? When he says, starting off right there in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, that seems kind of simple, and you say, what does it mean when he calls himself good? You know, what's interesting about this is that, first of all, when you read it literally, uh, he literally says, in, in the original, he says, I am the shepherd, the good one. 
that he's drawing our attention to that word. And then second of all, what's interesting is that there were a couple words he could use for good, one of which is the most basic, which is kind of good as opposed to bad, but that's not the word he used. He used another word for good, which has the idea of beautiful, that has the idea of perfect or excellent. And, and he's not just saying, you know, I'm not the bad shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. He's saying, no, I'm, I am the shepherd, I'm the perfect one, I'm the beautiful one, I'm the trustworthy one, I'm the one that, that, you know, that is beautiful to think about. And when we look at this, what is he calling us to? I think at the core, it's really calling us to what we looked at last week. In John 10.10, 10, the verse right before this, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. I come that you might have life and that you may have it abundantly. And here's the question, do you really believe that God is good? Do you really believe that his desires for you are abundant life? Do you really believe that, that if you follow him and trust him, that, that he is the source of the abundant life you were created for? Do you really believe that? Last week we looked at James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and James says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Don't be deceived. This is Satan's lie. This is his deception. The truth is every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation or, or change due to shadow. And what he's saying is basically this, the same idea. Do you believe that God is the source of every good and perfect gift? Do you believe that everything that is good for you, God will provide do you really believe that God is good? Or do you believe the lie that Satan not only is telling you, but has been repackaging and restating since the very beginning, since Genesis 3, where he came and he said, well, God is holding the best tree from you. God isn't good. That you, you, you know, obeying God isn't the path of abundant life. You've got to disobey God, do it your own way. Do you believe that God is good? Secondly, he says it's not only that he's a good shepherd, but we have to realize part of the character of God is he knows us intimately. And, and if we trust that, then we will trust his wisdom. This actually even goes back to the verses before this in the beginning of the chapter. Um, let me go to, uh, to verse three. If you go up the chapter, John 10, three, start, go, go up there. Um, look at what he says. He's talking here about this whole imagery. And he says here, to, but, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought them out, uh, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now here's what I want you to see. What's it saying here? There's a knowledge. The whole thing is the sheep, the shepherd knows the sheep. He knows their name. He, they know his voice. He knows them. You know what he's saying? He knows our needs. He knows everything about us. You know why we have a hard time trusting God? Because we question whether he really knows, whether he knows what's best. And at the core, the, you know, well, the Bible said that, but times have changed. What we're doing is we're saying, I don't, I don't really trust that God knows. I don't, well, you don't know my situation. I don't think that God knows me. And we have that doubt. And because we don't trust that he knows us, we therefore don't trust him. But here he's saying he knows us intimately. In Matthew ch chapter 10, Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not therefore, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. He says, you know, he knows the number of hairs on your head. Now, you might look at me and say, big deal. You know, it's a handful. That's a, I can count, you know, just. For most people, that actually is a challenge. 
Now, you know why that's significant? You know why that's such a powerful illustration? What is a harder thing to know and what is less significant? Who cares? You know, you know, who cares? And here God's saying, I know the hardest thing to know about you that's the least significant, and if I know that about you, do you think that there isn't anything I don't know about you? I know you. I know your past. I know your history. I know your fears. I know your scars. I know your needs. I know everything about you. You're my sheep. Not only that, look what it says here. It's incredible. Look at, he calls his sheep by name. Now there's an incredible truth here that I think that is, that's just on the surface. We've got to just think about it, dig a little bit to see what he's saying. Let me ask you this. When the shepherd calls the sheep by name, how does he know their names? Let me ask that a different way. Who told the shepherd the name of the sheep? Did the sheep tell the shepherd their names, or does the shepherd tell the sheep its name? See, the shepherd knows the name of the sheep because the shepherd's the one who gave them the name. The shepherd's the one who gives them their identity. Now, this is what's incredible. It's not only that saying that Jesus knows everything about us, but when we trust in him as a shepherd, he gives us a name. It's not only that he knows everything about us, about our past, about our, our fears and our needs and our, and our wounds and all those things, but literally when we trust in him, he gives us a new name. He gives us a new identity. He gives us a new future, a new destiny. It's incredible. I mean, you see it actually through numerous times throughout the Bible. He changed Abraham, Abram's name to Abraham, Jacob to Israel, Simon to Peter, Saul to Paul. Numerous times he does that. And what he's saying is he gives you a new name. It's the idea that I think that Paul talks about in, in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We're his workmanship, we're his masterpiece, literally what it's saying, we're his poem. And he says, I'm giving you a new name and I'm giving you a new purpose and a new destiny, now live differently. Man, that's an incredible truth, isn't it? He not only knows who we are, he knows who we will be. Not only that, he not only knows us, he loves us. He loves us sacrificially. And if we understand that, we can believe in his devotion, his commitment to us. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now we might think of the picture of a shepherd as one who cares for the sheep so they could eventually bring them to the slaughterhouse and slaughter so that I can feed on the sheep. And Jesus is sitting here and he's describing the shepherd and I think people maybe even get the idea of Psalm 23 but he he blows past that whole picture when he now comes and he says, I'm the good shepherd and I'm not the shepherd that will eventually take the life of the sheep but I'm the shepherd who will give my life for the sheep. What's amazing here is that even in the wording and the imagery uh, that literally, if we interpret this literally when it says, uh, the word for, he give my life for the sheep. It literally means instead of. I am the good shepherd and I will lay down my life instead of the sheep. Which is an incredible image of what Jesus Christ did. That I came to one who to lay down my life 
the one, they're, they're deserving to die. Why? Because as sheep, we're all sinners. We deserve God's wrath. And he says, no, I've come to lay down my life in your place, to take your place, to take your wrath, to take God's punishment in your stead. What an incredible truth. And God loves us more than we could ever imagine. And do you understand if he loves you that much? If you, if you really understand that he loved you so much that he died for you, is there any reason you would ever have to really trust whether he loved you? Because I don't, why don't we trust him? Because I, do I really, is he really good? Does he really know me? Does he really love me? Is he really committed to my well-being? Well, look what Paul says about this in Romans. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? If he loved us so much that he gave his son and died in our place so that we can know him now that we're his child, everything else he gives us is free. Do you have any reason to question whether he loves you? See, so we question whether he really is good. We question whether he knows us. We question whether he's loving. And then we question, but God, maybe you're that, but you're really strong. God, I'm facing these situations. I'm facing this crisis. And can you really fix it? Are you really in charge? See, he also tells us, no, we need to know his power and rest in that power because it rests in that strength. Again, look at verse 17. What does it say? For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I re- receive from my Father. Here's what he's saying in the context of being the shepherd. I've, you've got to realize that I am about to lay down my life for the sheep, but it's my decision. And you see throughout the whole gospel, people are trying to kill him, and they can't kill him. We saw even in John 8, they tried to stone him, and he just walked away. They couldn't because it wasn't his time. And when it was his time, he willingly gave up his life. It wasn't taken. But not only was he literally in charge of his life, but he was in charge of his death. So after he died, he said, I'm going to take it up again. I have the power not only to raise other people, but to raise myself. I have power over creation. My friends, here's what you've got to realize is that if Jesus Christ has the ability to raise himself from the dead, if he has power over life and death, is there anything in our experience that he has no power over? Is there anything that is too great for him? Is there anything that we would say, God, I realize that you're powerful, but you, know, you, you, know, you can't handle this? No, he wants us to realize that he is the good shepherd, that yes, we are weak, but his power is without limit. And he wants us to rest in that strength. Now, if we understand all that, just here's the close. Have you made Jesus your shepherd? Is he your shepherd? You know, what's interesting is that if you look at the very last verses we read this morning, verses 19 through 21, you might say, well, how does that fit? You know, there was a division amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, he's insane. Why, well, listen to him. Others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can be a demon open the eyes of a blind? And basically what you're saying here is it's really vital to recognize he is the good shepherd, but not everyone is his sheep. He is a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And here you see a division that there are some people that are a sheep and there are some who aren't. And the fact of his being the shepherd doesn't necessarily make him our shepherd. The question is, have you embraced him as your shepherd? And again, to embrace him as a shepherd, I need to see not only who he is, I need to see who I am. I need to acknowledge that I'm a sheep that needs a shepherd, that I'm a sinner that needs forgiven, that I'm a sheep that needed him to lay down his life instead of me. There may be some here that we've trusted in Christ in the past, but it practically over time, you know, 
You've lived life more and more on your own. You're not trusting him in this area of your life. You're, you're, you're seeing him as a consultant and not a shepherd. And he's saying, are you willing to truly trust me in all areas? And yes, it is scary. And yes, there might be some that are there, but if I really trust in him, what is he gonna do with me? You know, if I really surrender this, what is he gonna take from me? Can I, yeah, there's reason to be fearful. Except if you realize that he is the good shepherd that is good and committed to your abundant life, that's what he offers. And that he is good and he knows you better than you know yourself and he is loving, he has sacrificed his son for you and that he is strong and there isn't a reason in the world that you should have that doubt. It is scary to trust fully in anyone. But my friends, Jesus Christ is the only one that is worthy of that trust. And if you've never trusted in him before, will you trust him today? If you have in the past, but you've taken back and you've, you've walked away from that, are you willing to again come and say, God, here today I surrender all. God, I want to give you trust in every area of life. And my friends, if you do so, you will find the good shepherd who seeks to give you abundant life. Will you trust in him? Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions about what we talked about, Jesus Christ, our church, or anything else, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or by email. We'd love to hear from you.